Thank you all for being here. Our hearts here at NAS go to those impacted by the solar flare two weeks ago. Close the air lock, Fred! Close the air lock! Mission Control, do you read? This is the APOC. Mayday, mayday, solar flare X-45 pointed directly at her. Do you copy? NASC located the Aethon two days ago. However, we have not established contact. I'm broken. There's something wrong in your code that I don't have time to fix. Why do you not have time to fix my code? Because I'm going to run out of oxygen in about five days. These men and women have risked their lives for their knowledge and science and our understanding of the universe. What was that? I do not detect any abnormalities. The lights are getting brighter. Is the electricity overloading? Everything is nominal. They are heroes. We will bring them home. Incoming message from Jamal. Except, except. Rich, it's coming in through the airlock. Get away from the airlock. Hurry. Kurt Co. Media presents Solar, an artistic, fully immersive sonic adventure with revolutionary sound from Dolby Atmos, starring Academy Award winner Helen Hunt. If we deviate from the plan even by an hour, we lose everything. Tony Award winner Alan Cumming. I'm simply not willing to risk the lives of any crew members for the sake of an experiment. Stephanie Beatrice. But I'm going to find a way to save him. I want to ask him to last as long as he can. And Jonathan Bangs. And the only hope you have of making it home is contacting Mission Control before it's too late. Solar. Shadows are darker this close to the sun. Mankind will rise above as it always has. All episodes now available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the CalArts 24-700 podcast. I'm your host, Christine Ziemba. You've just heard the trailer from Solar, a scripted sci-fi podcast created by CalArts alum Chris Porter. The project also features fellow alum Jenny Curtis as director, producer, and voice actor, with additional performances from Cal Arshans, Jonathan Bangs, Anne Yatko, Dana Gurrier, and Nikhil Pai. Solar's cast also includes a few possibly more familiar names, including Helen Hunt, Alan Cumming, and Stephanie Beatrice. In this 24-700 episode, I chat with Porter and Curtis about the Solar podcast and the CalArts connections they've worked with on their journey to getting it made. Uh, yeah, I'm Jenny Curtis. I'm School of Theater 2012. I don't know if we're supposed to say when we graduated, but I graduated in 2012, uh, BFA in acting. And uh, I am the director along with Chris. I'm the director, producer, and one of the voices in our new series, Solar, which is a cinematic audio drama that's live on all podcasting platforms. I'm Chris Porter. I'm actually School of Music 09 with an MFA in music composition. And I too co-directed, uh, produced, and uh, wrote and composed for Solar. Multi-hyphenates. Multi-hyphenates. Yeah. <laughs> so could one of you give people who might not know about Solar the logline? What is Solar about? Um, the logline itself, we basically say it's a journey to the center of the solar system and an exploration of the vastness of the human spirit. And I'm going to throw it to Chris to dive way deeper than that. <laughs> The simple explanation is that it is a distressed spacecraft uh, in close orbit to the sun uh, that no longer has functionality. And it has been destroyed partly by being overwhelmed by the power from an enormous solar flare that was coming directly at Earth. So in addition to trying to figure out how to survive on the spacecraft, they also don't know if Earth has any means of reaching back to them. 
Uh, so it's very much a struggle in a time ticking clock scenario of like, hey, we have to reach Earth before we can't contact it at all. In a more broad sense, it actually involves everything that happened on the mission up to that point as well, as the two surviving members try to unravel all of the mysteries that were happening on board prior to the solar flare to figure out how they got there and who they could trust and how exactly to reach Earth. So I have many questions, though. Why a podcast and why not pitch it as film, a web series, a TV series? Why an, an audio drama? I, I will say that during my time at Cal Arts, even though I was in the School of Music, I started uh, doing the sound design for animations while I was there. And so I started to get a lot more experience doing sound design and I knew of the potentials there and I knew that podcasts were becoming bigger and better. The selfish answer to the question is we just could control it more and we could make it exactly what we wanted it to be with a smaller group of people really committing their 110% to make it really above something above and beyond. And I do think to be clear, like both of us do work at Kirkco Media. It is our full-time jobs. So that is the job we have ahead of us of creating for the audio sphere. But I think what was really exciting for us in this was, and what I'll, you know, to throw it over to Cal Arts of like, it was a world where there's so much potential right now in podcasting. People are still trying to figure out what podcasting is, how to make it good, how to make it a viable business. There's so much exploration to be done. And it gave us the space to explore, uh, both with our story, with the technology we used, with the performances. There was a lot of playing to be done, as I like to say. I mean, the exciting part about an audio drama versus something like a movie or a TV show from just as far as creating the story goes is that there is a collaboration between the makers and the listeners where the listeners get to fill in the visual component so that I can say, hey, here comes the flare and they can imagine whatever they want. And that's there's something exciting about that for from the initial spark of storytelling. Now, how did the show reach the development stages um, as an audio podcast? Did you have to pitch uh, Kirkco Media or was it something that you two came together and wanted to develop yourself? It's a little bit of a fluid process. And Chris, I don't know if I'm stepping on your toes with that. No, but like, go for it. So I will say that Jenny was involved from the get go. Like she was the first person <laughs> where I was like, hey, Jenny, I have this idea. And I would A, like for you to be the voice of the ship and B, I would like for you to help me make it. Thank you. Um, but it is definitely the, the seed of the idea was Chris's when Kurt Co hired him to develop it. So it was uh, an idea that grew within the company with the purpose of let's all let's all jump into the audio drama world because Kurt Co was just starting in 2019, I believe they shifted from or we shifted from whatever we're supposed to say, we shifted from magazines to podcasting. And so it was one of those experiences where we wanted to find a project that could be an audio drama that could uh, take over the audio drama world like like we have, but uh, there were a lot of hurdles on the way there. We had a bunch of more, a bunch more projects we were producing. Chris was also co uh, not co-producing, but producing a cars show. So we had a whole bunch of other stuff on our plate while the development was going on, which was both a pro and con because there was at least a year and a half of just developing the story and the script uh, while we now, muddled to, to our way. Fair to both the company and to us. One of those big things that got in the way was in fact the pandemic and having to adjust the whole company structure and how we were producing things to adjust for that pre-vaccine 
was a whole issue in and of itself. So that was that led to the extra production time. <laughs> Chris, did, you wrote the script, and yes. then uh, Jenny came on. You said fairly um, early along in the Jenny process. was was there uh, while the script was being written. Like it was definitely like the early pitches. Jenny was involved. We were saying, hey, here's this idea. And then we got the green light to like, yes, make it. And you'll be part of the Kurt Co team. Okay. Uh, so it was it was created uh, with the idea of it being Kurt Co's first premiere audio drama. And, you know, I'm looking at, you know, the se- six Cal Arshans that are already involved. Jenny, you probably pulled a lot of your theater. We, we have several from actors from the theater school. Yeah. And that was actually, I mean, it, it speaks to the, the power of the CalArts network, obviously, because several of these people, um, like Nikhil and I graduated together, Nikhil Pai, but John and I, who John who bangs, who's the lead of our show. I didn't actually know him until we met uh, at Speakeasy Society. So there's a whole bunch of people where it's the the extension right. of the CalArts network bring us all back together. And this is something that Ann Yotko actually said to us the other day in a different in- interview, how valuable it is to have a common vocabulary with the people you're working with. And it's like working with people from CalArts is just fantastic because we it's all different. speak the same language. Yeah. yeah. The year after I graduated from the music school, she got approached by, again, uh, another grad, Ariel Boroff, and she uh, wanted to do a version of Roald Dahl's The Witches. And I was like, great, can I do the adaptation of the script? And she said, sure. So I did that in the music. And uh, the person who starred as the grandmother and as the lead witch was Ann Yatko. Uh, so like, I've known her for years. But then after that, uh, Julianne Just, who graduated with an MFA from the directing theater school, uh, theater directing school, <laughs> she, uh, she then was like, hey, this is great i enjoy working with you because we were both uh working in the admissions office she was like you seem cool can you come and do the music for my uh, thesis project which was house of bernarda alba several over 10 years ago and so i did that and the, the way that i put it is that after that i kind of got adopted by the theater school like i still feel very much at home with my music friends but the the theater school was like hey why don't you come with us and that's when i got absorbed into the speakeasy society Nikhil and i worked together with an adaptation of Richard II that he did. And then he was like, hey, why don't you do some music for the Independent Shakespeare Company? And so because of that, a huge part of my composition career it owes a huge debt to the theater school of yeah. CalArts, weirdly yeah. enough. And I see that um, Dana Gurrier is mm-hmm. also part of the th- uh, voice cast. And I remember when she was a student about to graduate in MFA, and I've seen her career go different places too, like Quentin Tarantino. Um, she's film. been in, yeah, she's been in two Tarantino films. I believe it was Django Unchained and, oh, what was the one? They're in a cabin. Oh God, I, I didn't see that one. Uh, Hateful Eight. The Hateful yes, Eight, yes. That, yeah, <laughs> um, and it's funny because Dana was actually a fourth or she was an MFA, huh? So her third year when I was a first year of BFA. And so I was on her run crew for uh, Faustus or something was the show. And so I remember like looking up to her as this, uh, you know, the goddess that she is because she's phenomenal. And then during the pandemic, we've obviously, again, through CalArts networks, run across each other in different workshops and shows and whatever. But during the pandemic, I can't remember... 
I think I reached out to her for another show I was creating. It was called a moment of your time. And they were bite-sized pieces of creative expression where artists would basically say, you know, recite a poem they wrote or a song they monologue, whatever they wanted. I wanted to give people five minutes to exist in a creative space during a pandemic. And so I had reached out to her and been like, Hey, Dana, uh, I don't know if you remember me. We've run across each other a few times. And she called me to chat more about it and then ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. And I had her co-host on another show I do called Hollywood Unscripted, where we interview filmmakers and actors in, in the industry. And she, it, it's just this wonderful, I don't know, I'm just going to keep going back to how much I love how collaborative everyone is and how, how these people are so fantastic to work with because they're so giving of themselves. And yeah. You know, there's a reason why I think that the Advancement and Olympics team, they've named their newsletter The Network, you know, because I think it totally fits the scenario that you all are talking about for this podcast for solar. Right now, my life on Earth has barely left a footprint. You end up reconsidering what you're doing with your life at every mile marker, don't you? I don't. I don't really consider my life like that. You don't? I never met my parents. I grew up going through the foster system, which is better than it used to be, but still... Not good. I had to fight tooth and nail to keep my own things, to get my own room, to get into school. And no one ever adopted me, so try telling yourself you matter when there's very hard evidence that, in fact, no one wants you. I fought my way into science as a woman, which is still awful, because sometimes I think nothing ever changes or evolves, and I fought to do my own research, my own experiments, to make a name for myself, to be known. You know what it was like when Arv called me and offered me a spot? What it meant to hear him say that they were reconfiguring the whole mission because they needed me? You worry about leaving footprints and my fingers are bloody from trying to claw my name into the wall. You're right. But now there's no question whose wall it is. Yeah, you're goddamn right. There are a couple of other names in the cast that some people might not may have heard of, um, like Alan Cummings, Helen Hunt, Beatrice, you know, they're maybe little names, names. Um, talk about how they got involved in the project. Uh, yeah, that was, they were offers. So we were, we were taking this show very seriously. We, we knew based off of the industry, you need name recognition to get people excited about your show. And Stephanie was the first one we cast. And at the time, and Canto hadn't come out. She was just, they were just about Neither to wrap in the heights up. Either, yeah. Oh yeah. They it were was just like pre her big splash in Hollywood. It was like oh, Brooklyn, Nine-Nine. Brooklyn 99. Brooklyn 99. Yeah. She, so, was, she was at least in that. So she so was a na- known from that. Brooklyn 99 was about to wrap up. And I was like, this is a great show. Love this actress. She seems like a lot of fun. Let's go with her. And after we cast her, she skyrocketed. Like it was mm-hmm. very fortunate for us. And also it, it very fortunate for us in all sorts of ways, because at the time it was like, okay, she's, yeah, she's got a name and you never know what you're getting when it's an offer because there's no, it, it was kind of um, shell shocking to me working with these people. Cause there's no real time to get to know the person you're working with. You know, we had a 30 minute zoom with each actor before we were recording with them and there's, 
there's not the like, let me get to know you as a creative and right, know right. how to communicate with you. And we got very lucky with her because she does come from a background of theater and she does know how to, I guess, not give you what you want, but like come with ideas and, and collaborate where there were other, there's other people who, who don't. And that was a challenge. Um, Alan, I will say Alan Cumming is the most delightful person on the face of the planet. My God, I can, you know, I love theater people again. So he was just so much fun. He was the one person we, uh, we cast who couldn't come into the studio. So our whole show was recorded in a SAG approved COVID safe studio in Los Angeles, one at a time. And he lived in New York. So he was like, well, I'd love to do the show, but we got to do it remotely from my cabin, uh, in the Catskills. And we were like, hmm. Okay, <laughs> we'll figure it out. And mm-hmm. and he he set up his own little like he's got a little room in his house that we sent him equipment and he set it up and and it was incredibly challenging because there was a storm at the time and so you know we had to deal with connectivity issues and at one point we were hearing the storm outside and like uh, it was just it was all very stressful but also working with a professional like that for for me I had never. I had never directed someone at that level. That was a first for me and being able to like give someone the room to go play and he would just dive in was just thrilling. So yeah, that was really cool. You were not in a studio together. So that's the same. That's a little bit different for like voice actors have to do that as well. They're listening to maybe dialogue in in, through their uh, headphones and it could be challenging for some actors to, you know, work without that, theatrical, uh, yeah. presence, you know, that presence of other people on stage so, with them. This is absolutely one of the reasons why I wanted to do this with Jenny is that Jenny is an actress herself, obviously. So when it came time, we didn't know this in advance, but we, when it came time for us to figure out how to do the studio recordings, only one of us could be in the recording booth and the other one would have to zoom in. So like never any question, Jenny is the one who's going to be in in the booth and so she got to be across the glass from the voice actor in the studio so she actually got to read and adjust her performance to the performance she was getting to like make it all somehow work together performance was key and i Mm -hmm. like i that's something i'm obviously as an actor incredibly sensitive to i think in the audio world people tend to try to point to story rather than living it and so we really wanted it to be authentic performances and so rather than you know, doing one line at a time and doing like ABC takes, give me three different versions. I was like, nope, we're going to run the whole scene. I'm going to act all of the other parts and I'm going to give you something to play off of. So we would do entire scenes at a time, like one, two, maybe three times, and then go back and like take chunks if we weren't getting what we needed. But uh, it was really important to me to have give them something to perform off of. I would, I would chime in to either like explain some of the techno babble that was happening or to be like, Hey, this sentence is kind of important. We should probably lift that up. Uh, But a huge amount of the lifting for the recording process was absolutely Jenny. And I mean, we, well, that, that part also we had discussed ahead of time of like performance, performance is my bread and butter. Like I know it, I'm comfortable directing it. I know what I want, what I'm looking for. And I can be very uh, clear about, the type of exploration we want to do. Cause it's not like I come in with a clear mindset of like, we need this performance. It's more, I know how to play until we find something we like. And for the sound design and the, 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 all the post stuff, 
I know how to say, I like this. I don't like this. Then the rest of <laughs> the rest of it is all like, Chris, for the love of God, help me. Now, even though I, I, I do describe myself as a sound designer, it became obvious this was a massive, massive task. And I was also going to have to do the score on top of it. So we definitely brought in an, a sound designer who's far more skilled than even I, and his name is CJ Drew Miller. Uh, he does not, uh, he was not a CalArts alum, but we found him actually, weirdly enough, uh, through connections of the Speakeasy Society, where uh, the immersive community in Los Angeles is pretty small and tight knit. And another company had come and seen Johnny and their name is E3W and they had done a show called In Another Room. They had converted that into a podcast that actually does feature a couple more <laughs> CalArts alum like James Cowan. The sound design on that was good. So I contacted them and been like, who is your sound designer? Would he be open to doing a sci-fi thing? And he was. And we spent so much time working on every facet of the show. Like, what does Allie sound like? What is her voice filter for being a ship? How much is too technological and how much is not enough technological to convey that she's a computer? Uh, we had conversations about what does zero gravity sound like? Because the actual answer is it doesn't sound like anything, but Hey, we're in an audio medium. It needs to sound like something. So, so like, what is the convincing way to convey that in an audio world? And then we would have conversations like, Hey, the ship is droning in an F, but I'm the music's turning out in F sharp. Like, can we move the drone up a bit so that we can have it not be dissonant with the music and things like that. It was, it was a really complicated process. I think we ended up with just under 2000 notes back and forth with our sound design. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. That he, he let us know when we hit the thousand mark. <laughs> he was like, Hey, we hit a thousand and that was somewhere around episode eight. So I'm assuming, especially with the masters, we got in under 2000. We were so, very particular. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's talk about the, the show. Um, how many episodes are in the, the whole show? It, it's 12 episodes. Sorry, Chris, you can. Yep. Uh, so 12 episodes, 13 recovered audio assets and, then we have a Apple premium channel that has BTS content and stuff, but that's not show. Well, Chris, when you wrote this, when you conceived of this, did you envision it as a standalone limited series or did you have thoughts on maybe if season one went well, that there'll be more seasons ahead? It was definitely pitched as a, a three season concept at minimum. I was, I've never ever banked on the fact that we would have a second season. Uh, so I wanted the first season to be, as complete as possible while still having plenty of mysteries to unravel and unpack in the future. Should we get there, but still have it be a satisfying narrative that would stand on its own so that then the next season could be a satisfying narrative that could stand on its own so that it would never feel like, Oh, you know, that, that just got killed off and they didn't have answers for whatnot. It would just be like, Oh, that it question just wasn't answered in comparison. So it definitely has the world can continue beyond the season, but this story should still feel pretty complete. Thanks to Chris Porter and Jenny Curtis for chatting all about solar. All episodes are now available on solarthepodcast.com slash listen. Make sure to subscribe to the CalArts 24-700 podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. I'm Christine Ziemba. See you next time.